everybody, I'm the Drunk Phytologist, Dr. Rochelle Lapham, aka Phyto or DP, and I use the pronoun she, her. And I'm Ethan Lapham, uh, also known as Talkman363, and I use pronouns uh, he, him. And this is Natural 20. <laughs> Natural 20 is a podcast that discusses the lore, history, and biology of Dungeons and Dragons, Creatures and Monsters. Natural 20 is also an adult podcast featuring adult language. You have been warned. So we've got thought, and you said there was some human DNA in there. So obviously there is access to human DNA. I think that maybe kind of the next similar lineup is sort of your, your base template human, but I notice it's humans and gen humans. Yep. So here's where we get into the standard sci-fi trope of, of genetically engineered or genetically altered or grown beings. So gen humans, uh, essentially in this game system, get um, from a mechanics advantage a quirk um, that comes out of their uh, out of the modifications of their DNA. Stronger bones, more efficient lungs. Sometimes it's oddball things like somebody integrated venom into them. Maybe they're good at endurance. Maybe they're particularly persuasive. Whatever traits. I'm just throwing things out without reading the whole table. There's a, there's a big oh, old sure. table. But point being that they've got a couple of quirks that that make them different from you know just random genetic mixing that gives people you know some people are particularly good at sprinting that is where they've ended up with the genetics they've been given this is you know putting a hand on the wheel of, of what's going on with the genetics and growing somebody that's capable of doing other things yeah you know, I mean, going water world you have gills right so we're, yeah, we're not talking like oh you know your parents were from very distant corners of the earth and the genetic mix comes out in all science of interesting and fun things but at the end of the day it's still you're still a human most humans don't grow quills or set off electromagnetic pulses or exactly you know glow in the dark we've thought it would be interesting if we had somebody that could set off electromagnetic pulses we've got these techno-organic creatures maybe that'd be useful in a fight so we're going to grow a series of um, genetically altered humans to see if as soldiers they're able to be more effective against these techno-organic creatures now, of course, me, I'm over here thinking about all these different traits that you could have, what you would have to get, and from what animal to make this a thing. And then I thought about being pedantic and being like, but how did you do the engineering? Did you do it with the egg manipulation? Did you do microinjection? Did you do in vitro fertilization and then had it implanted into a surrogate? Did you start it in a jar and then you move over here and then they're born like a normal human? Is this a cloning thing or is it some type of hybrid figure? We could be here for a very long time. I did notice one that could have real-world implications and is something that I think there has been some basic research into, which is the DNA cloak, that you don't leave any DNA evidence behind. Skin cells don't slough off. Hair doesn't fall out. Breathing doesn't leave any epithelial cells. And I think that theory, something like that, would almost leave you ageless, right? Like things not leaving if you had cells that were injured or died but it almost falls into like telomere research of oh, like yeah. not reducing over time with age because if you're not losing these cells, you don't have the telomere replication problem. Um, you must have brought back into the system. I mean, there's really two ways you could handle that. Is you know they're they're recycled rather than sloughed off. Um, or or my favorite and one of the alien species does this. Um, whenever they're poisoned or dealing with a, a foreign contaminant, you've got sort of like urn cells, like a sponge. And they're like, I'll just take this foreign contaminant and literally leap out of the body with it. There, it's gone. Uh, you know. 
Yeah, well, it's almost like what plants do when there is some sort of... Because the plant immune system is very different than the human immune system. So when you have some sort of foreign invader, that cell that is sick releases a bunch of reactive oxygen species and basically blows itself up and all the cells around it to prevent spread and goes through apoptosis. Or as you said, leap out of the body. I will take this and I'm going <laughs> Take all the poison, put it in my toe, and yeet. But that's also one of the reasons that you can see even on trees where if you can have some diseased leaves and that they will go through rapid aging, basically. They go through what's called a senescence. And then that leaf will fall off and away from the original organism because also they don't really care. We cut off our hands. It's kind of a problem. (laughs) Versus it's the, oh, I don't need that branch. I got more. Let it fall out. I got plenty. So that would be a way to sort of handle that at least a little bit. If your epithelial cells never sloughed off, but if you still had like new epithelial cells coming underneath, mm-hmm. it would actually look more like bark on a tree. Yeah, you'd look like the thing from the Fantastic Four. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, that makes perfect sense, right? Because at a certain point, it's going to harden because it, there's a lot underneath it, and it's right. just taking constant abuse without being removed. Right, and so eventually it may stuff, but it will crack. So if you have beech trees, what you do is you have new layers of bark underneath, but they flake off with very small things. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, if you have something like a walnut or a cottonwood or you know maybe a maple tree where they've got big grooves and things, that's actually the new bark cracking the old bark on top. And so that's why you get these big ridges. And so I'd say you'd look more like you have these dermal plates, basically, as said, like the thing from Fantastic Four. Yeah, that makes sense. Or just a you know Groot that can actually speak beyond just I am Groot. I mean, that's technically speaking. I guess that's true. And he's able to communicate a lot of things. Well, and that's one of the reasons where you have, when the first race we talked about was like, oh, well, they couldn't speak and that could be like playability. You know, and I can see that in general that that could be a little bit aggravating for sure, especially if you can hear other people's thoughts. But then obviously now I guess then the thought is like they're telepathic amongst each other, but the other meat people, they can't, they can't actually, your brain isn't advanced enough to hear what I'm saying back to you, you know? Attention meat bags. Attention meat bags. <laughs> yeah, the, the other organisms don't have those additional sensing organs that the, uh, the asparagus heads have. So they're like, I wish I could just throw this at your ear equivalent so you just hear my thoughts, but you don't have them. So I'm throwing this at you and you just are like, uh-huh, I wish you would just tell me something. Damn, I gave you 15 chapters about why this is not going to work. And I appreciate that because I will say on other sort of fantasy realms, it's like, this person's telepathic, right? And they evolved to be telepathic. And then they can just talk directly into anybody's brain. I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. You know? What are they talking to? What are they talking to? Exactly. (laughs) You don't have the sensory organs to hear it. Mm -hmm. Hear Hear, quote, unquote, quote, unquote, air quotes. And that's one of the reasons I had previously in a game with friends of mine had played a race of plant people. And I had played it as a plant would communicate, not as the, this is a human that has bark because that's boring. They communicate via smell as other plants do and how they communicate to each other. And so some humanoid creatures could perceive, but others they can't because they don't have the sensory organs for that. And so it makes for an interesting kind of... Yeah, you communicated everything through, like, emotional state via smell and chalkboard. Yes, chalkboard and writing. As I said, that can be an interesting way if people wanted to play it that way, which, of course, as I said, is not something you necessarily have to do. But 
I can see that there's a lot of interesting and creative ways that you can leverage these different species quirks to make role play fun. Yeah, it's something to overcome. So your your gen humans, it is a hundred different possible options. Right. So there's a lot of sort of you could in in many ways there is kind of a pick and choose of some of the other bits and pieces. I didn't see anything. I mean, I, again, like you said, it's a huge list. Um, so I didn't quite get through to see if maybe there was like a, a telepathic option, but it seems like that's at least an opportunity to still have a little bit of flavor from someplace else, kind of got your chocolate in my peanut butter kind of way, just to kind of give it a little more flavor. I did also notice that the gen humans had a shorter lifespan. They, they do have a shorter lifespan. They're essentially, at one point, they were purpose-built. You know, you do, you do your job, and before you become a burden on the system for due to age or, or whatever, we're going to, you know, get you replaced with a newer better model but eventually what happened is you know they demanded uh, rights and equality and eventually were granted those and now the great irony between the humans and the gen humans is the gen humans are really running everything because when you make bigger stronger faster smarter people <laughs> they tend to fit in the role for bigger faster smarter things yes well, i didn't want to quite logan's run and like you know your, your crystal is glowing, your time is up. Make, make way for the regular humans. Well, and, and circling back on the thing about being able to sense other things and getting into the psychic powers, that was actually one of the you know, serious discussions we had. So there's a lot of background in the, in the gameplay, 30 years, where anyone could pick up the ability to do these psychic abilities. And we moved pretty far down the path of making it very difficult for anyone else. There's, we, we still allowed an out because it's got so much of a background history of people being able to do that. But the intent was, no, this is the Chichillians. They have some things that nobody else has. So from a realism perspective, why would anybody else be able to do that? They, they wouldn't. They just don't have the organs. You know, Humans don't go around spray marking things because we're not designed to do that. Right? Tigers and lions, yes. Foxes, oh, yes. <laughs> nobody told me. <laughs> but no, that, that makes a lot of sense. It is sort of that design by limitation idea of like, if you have this concept of being this empathic, mentally powered being, yeah, you know that that's not a human, right? Like it's, I can think all I want at another human and it doesn't change anything. But it's, so if you want to have that capability, you have to be something that has that capability. It's certainly, you know, one side of that argument is it's like, oh, it's too limiting. The other side is like, no, but it is realistic. Like if you just don't have the same limbic system or whatever it is that's letting you communicate in this fashion if you don't have the pheromone glands to produce 50 different emotional smells and pick up on all 50 of them then yeah you're going to be missing parts of that communication so yeah that makes a lot of sense you know when we're talking about oddball forms of communication one of the supplements we created for a previous edition what were, the, what were the ones that were living in space i'm drawing a blank on their name now tony oh the sea dune sea dune thank you communicate strictly through light they're in space. There's no smell is irrelevant, right? There's no atmosphere to carry the, the chemicals consistently in a way that would make sense, right? And no um, sound, sound is irrelevant. You, you don't have sound. So light is how they communicate. How you communicate is, is part of a function of the biology of, of the underlying creature. Yeah, that's true. Even in, you know, the depths of the ocean, the things that are bioluminescent. I don't know if you can call entrapment and baiting communication, but in a sense it is. It's, hey, come over here. I'm not communicating I want to eat you, but I want you to come over here. Oh, I'm feeling something. I'm feeling happy, which for me is a, is a big thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> happy feeling gone. And it's also interesting because of the different 
adaptations that happened. Either in some sort of environment, you ended up where when light is very low, but you still have some, the eyes became more advanced, right? Mm -hmm. So that they can pick up these slightest little bits of stuff and also bioluminescence. Then when there's the absence of light completely, then eyes become just vestigial or disappear completely because they're irrelevant. Right. right. And so then everything's done by feel. Or they have highly advanced sensory organs for like smell, or right? Or taste sense. or electrical sense. Because yep, that is a highly costly resource, right? An organ that you're having to maintain and make and that there's no reason to have it anymore. Now, when you mention that though, so hearing is one of those things that in those environments is different, right? You know, in an mm -hmm. underwater environment, you can hear great distances, but in an air environment or in space where there's nothing, right? So that you have that type of interplay. There's my segue. Great job, right, guys? Um, I do see that. So, so I think the next on our list is the keen, which are listed as bat frogs. Na, 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 na. Sorry, couldn't resist. Bat frog. <laughs> So yeah, so when we were looking at, so this is a new species, we came up with this one, we, we had a lot of debate on this one. What we were looking for, so if we think about the gameplay types, each of the species kind of has a kind of an archetypical role that they can play in, in a combat team. And we've expanded gameplay obviously beyond there, but sure. um, one of the roles that wasn't filled as well was really more of a stealth scout overwatch. We have kind of the ability to run around as forced recon in a scissor act, but not quite the level of stealth, same level of stealth. So we thought it might be interesting to have a species who is really all about stealth. And then just for a little bit of fun, we thought, well, what if we make them triphibious? What if they're good at breathing air, they're in a, you know, kind of a tropical rainforesty kind of a world, and they can, I can't exactly fly, but they can glide. So have a membrane, much like flying squirrel, they can put their arms out, catch enough air to glide. And then their speech is actually pitched well above standard human hearing. Okay. So their typical speech is not something that would normally be picked up by anything other than probably the Sisorak, who with great hearing, of course, being feline, they still have pretty good hearing. But everyone else is just kind of like, eh, I, I wish you'd like talk more. You're like really quiet. He's like, I, <laughs> I've been screaming I'm tired for the last of going hour. to do your voice. That makes a certain amount of sense, right? And yeah, I mean, I can see. From a gameplay standpoint, that making sense. And, and you know, I see things like you know the limited flight, chameleon-like color change, climbing on walls. So you know, they're they're filling that role pretty well. Well, and also I'm wondering too if it's like if they're amphibian-like. You know, is the planet they came from a very moist place, very humid environment? Oh yes, and they deal with drying out very poorly. <laughs> so then that that is something that you also have to take into account a little bit as well and i also agree with you if you have very sensitive hearing it's like it's like everyone why is everyone so loud yes yeah. you're constantly yelling and yet it's tired like of all thinking. the yelling we're whispering no no trust me you're yelling yeah. not only you're yelling you're constantly yelling and not getting your point across even better you're talking by communicating nothing the, the keen were one of my favorites because they always as dave mentioned they are completely new so when we were developing the seventh edition we didn't have to worry about the old guard going well you changed that thing i don't like the change i like it the way it was and these guys were were new and because they were filling that, that niche that hadn't been filled yet not take a lot of, a lot of the prior players like them yeah, we always like the new and shiny things yes 
But yeah, having that option, especially in a combat team sort of situation, missing an expected role and having to kind of fill it with maybe not a, a as much of a purpose generated or or even you know just a, a well fit species for that role, you know, now having one opens up a whole new kind of world of possibilities that you got. You know, now your skills can be applied other places because you already have some of these things inbuilt. The part about the keen I think you guys will really enjoy is I mean, there was a, a great bit of debate over here about you know how they were gonna they were gonna ch- chameleon, and we decided well for them to be really effective you know what's the point if you can change color like a chameleon and you're in mechanized battle armor you're like look I'm invisible other than the giant metal suit I'm wearing. So what we said is you know well what if what if they could make other things hard to see too and we were debating you know is this is like a matrix power a psychic power or is it a physical power and eventually what we decided on was no. We don't want it to be matrix based. We wanted you know, we wanted it to be an actual innate physiological ability. So what we settled on was they could they basically extrude this slime they're covered in, and then they can rub the slime on other things. Uh, it will make them hard to see. And the, basically, the way it does it, the slime they exude is filled with living cells, and there are. Um, chromatophores like with squid in the slime and they're also photoreceptors and they because they're they're basically membrane to membrane they're talking to each other mm-hmm. and the photoreceptor in the slime is like i see brown and the photochromatophore is like okay i'll turn brown and so you it, it's essentially an independent system within the slime and they can rub it on everything and after a day it dries out and dies but in that time it allows them to camouflage things other than themselves I love that. That's my that's my nerd self over here for just absolutely adores that because even chromatophores themselves, which are taken from other Earth like squids and cuttlefish and things like that, will also automatically change. You know, if you look at them underneath like a petri dish or whatever, to um, adjust it to different electrical stimulus and different things of that nature. And we still don't quite understand how, like for example, like a cuttlefish can still blend in with its environment even though it's colorblind. Even though it's a color magician of the deep, it's very hard. To, <laughs> no one, no one knows how. Yeah, I, that's fascinating and, and uh, really a nice touch for sure. And mentioning and we slime, we argued that for hours. Right? <laughs> how do I make this? Like, sure, I can just gameplay hand wave them. They can make other things invisible because. But I love that you took the time to come up with a, and, it, and it's mechanical still in its own way because, like you said, after a day. It dries out and it's just sort of like stuck in that crusty mucus. And it's like, okay, that's, you know, it's a little gross. I'm like, but it works if you need to sneak something out of a building, cover it in slime, pull it out, wipe it off later, problem solved. Hey, Joe, can you come sneeze on this for a second? Don't you want to be that guy, though? Like, you've been put on the team just for that. I've got all these skills, and all you want me to do is just sneeze on something rub it around so you can go look you can't see this great party tricks i've got three phds and that's all you care about but i see a business model if you can come up with a containment vessel that will keep it functional for longer than a day that you could sell jars of slime to make things whatever color you need them oh one of the, you're one of those guys <laughs> most of our players have a very similar mindset. So whenever one of the reasons this debate took so long is because we had to come up with, okay, somebody out there is going to try and exploit this and break this so that they can use it for long term. 
Remember. So that's why we have stuff in there like, okay, it dries out after a day. Um, so because you know, a lot of um, Battle Hordes encourages that. One of the nice things about, yeah, it's crunchy, but within that crunchiness is the ability to, hey, if I mix this and this, I get a new thing that's even better. And we encourage that. The downside to that is on the back end, we have to do a lot of... As a dungeon master yeah. who has several min-maxers... <laughs> Min Maxers in her party. I feel this yeah. in my soul. Yeah. I, I did have someone ask me, um, as he's playing as a barbarian, you when you rage, you have advantage on certain skills, right? And he's like, Oh, do I see this thing? And I go, Okay, roll perception. He's like, Well, I'm raging, do I have advantage? I'm like, on perception? And he's like, Hey, I just wanted to see if I had advantage. My eyes felt really strong right then. <laughs> Good. So does your tunnel vision. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So that's a no. That's a no. <laughs> so I'm going to play a keen. I'm going to have a sprinkler system on the outside of the armor to keep the camouflage slime moist so that it continues to function. But the cell still died. Thought of that. Yep. It has to get all of its nourishment and things from the, from the, from the keen. So I put fertilizer in the sprinkler system. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to find a way, aren't you? Oh, yeah. That's, this no, is the role I feel. Remember, like no plan, no game design. Uh, survive contact, contact with the enemy. The enemy is the player. Right. We all know this. Yep. <laughs> yeah, we That's have the a enemy and then us. We have the guy. One of the guys on our team who quintessential min maxer named Keith, and we we run everything by him because if Keith can break it, we know we need to go back to the drawing board. Keith broke it. Try again. No, that makes perfect sense. But with so. slime, so I'm sensing the theme because the next thing here is the Matsians. Which I'm getting some like the first Hanar Specter kind of vibe here. If I can, if I can throw a little Mass Effect in here, slime features. It's so long since I play Mass Effect, I'm drawing a blank on that. Um, so I, I usually describe them for people who are familiar with Star Trek: Deep Space Nine, mm -hmm. like Odo, with a little more flexibility. Um, okay. So the Matsians or Mazians, as, as some people call them, who have both uh, names for these uh, critters. They're basically, Tony, keep me honest, aren't essentially communal organisms? Well, they're, they're certainly social. I, I don't know if they would be. I, I was thinking more like Portuguese man of war. I was, that's where I was going. Yes, yes. Essentially, every slimy body of the Mazian um, is its own entity. They just all happen to talk and chat with each other, which allows them to work cooperatively as a, as a functional unit. Uh, and that way they can... They can uh, they can do all the amazing things that they will they will tell you about in a second. <laughs> yep. From a gameplay perspective, these are great in more of a spy kind of a setting. They're the ultimate and infiltrator. Uh, anything they can interact with, they can replicate. They can't. They don't have enough memory to keep because it's they're replicating at a very deep level. There's a lot of data to keep track of for replication, so they can't keep an unlimited library of things they can replicate. But if they want to be a particular briefcase, they can go touch it and use all of their senses to figure out how, what you know what makes it a briefcase and replicate that specific briefcase. They can get to the DNA level and try to understand DNA so um, and try to replicate ret uh, retina scan eyeballs, you know, try to recreate the whole body. So we made a mimic, but better. Yes. Nice. It's the, the comparison I always go to, and it, I'm going to date myself here, is John Carpenter's The Thing. Mm -hmm. Yep, I try not to go there because it gets creepy fast. <laughs> Salad. Yeah, no, you mentioning like Portuguese man of war, siphonophores, salps, you know, that's definitely really interesting because 
And then I'm sort of wondering if, you know, if they're like this communal sort of organism, which is a bunch of single-celled organisms all working together to form this sort of larger being. In the case of Siphonophores, Portuguese man-of-war, or salps, like salps at least, are, well, they're a little bit more bizarre, so maybe we won't go into them, which I don't know why I'm saying that. We're talking about Siphonophores here. But um, mm -hmm. the, <laughs> the the idea is, is that you know, these are all like genetically the same, but then all have different phenotypes. So, you know, phenotype is how something looks, you know, and then mm -hmm. taken on different roles. And so then what I'm wondering is in the case of this race, is it that all the cells are identical? And then when they touch the briefcase, for example, then they divide up who becomes what part of said briefcase or are they different, right? Varied. And then their gene expression is the same so that they're phenotypically different and perform different roles. Clarify, most of the cells are identical. Um, there are specialized cells that, that form a nervous system to communicate data faster between the different parts of the blob. And they do have rudimentary sensory organs, and those are specialized. But all of the other cells are essentially the same, and they, they're sort of uh, phenotype neuter because whatever it tells them they need to look like, that's what they become um, when it changes. So yes, essentially, yeah, each one of those cells, it's like, okay, we need to look like this. Uh, and then and they, they make the change. So, it, you know, all of a sudden it looks like, a, or it looks like Bob over there. And uh, it, it does have a, a nervous system, but most of the cells are adaptable as needed. So it's a blob of pluripotent stem cells. Yes, a blob of pluripotent stem cells, yeah. Pretty much, yeah. Most of the cells aren't specialized or in a specific phenotype until it tells them what they need to be. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then it can take them back to that like base level and okay. then use them as other things. Yeah, so, yep. then, so then there's the de-differentiation part where they can reverse back into there. Well, then my question is, is that sort of an immediate thing that they're allowed, able to do, or do they have to go through a sort of a transition period from being differentiated into looking something to de-differentiating back into the basal state? And that was one of the things that we changed, and, and only a couple people have really noticed, which is telling to me. Um, in the older versions of the book, they were much more limited in terms of what they could do. If you wanted a specific shape, you actually needed a pseudo-skeletal framework. So if you wanted to impersonate somebody, a Maisian could go by basically a you know a metal skeleton, and then it would form around the skeleton and walk around and impersonate them. And they were initially very limited in what they could mimic and duplicate and nobody played them because it was a big pain in the ass. <laughs> so right. in, the, in the seventh edition, essentially it's from the get-go. I want to look like Bob. Okay, you're Bob. I want to look like that briefcase. Okay, you're that briefcase. And you're, you're really not. We limited them in other ways, um, but we've expanded their shape-shifting imitation abilities to the point where they're you know, playable from the get-go and they're a lot more fun. Yeah, it's a little bit, it's more of that like Odo of like, I can be a bridge and then I can be an airplane and then I can be, but there's that, that 10 seconds of like gold goo before he changes between point to point. Yeah. And our gameplay, it's, it's, it's a much faster shift. It's depending on the nature of the shift you want to do. There's, there's some, there can be some lag. It kind of depends on the skill level and, and how drastic the change. So it, it depends, but it's not quite that whole, you know, I'm spending my entire, so combat in the game system is very fast. Sure. We're talking two second rounds and to keep it from a gameplay perspective relevant in combat, not that they're like, they're not the stars of combat. I mean, let's be honest right. here. They're, they're a pile of goo. If they get shot, things go flying around, which they can usually pull back together as long as it doesn't get damaged too bad. But um, 
point being, you know, if they're no longer relevant in the combat terms, then it, it from a gameplay perspective, you're like, well, again, if I'm going to be in a lot of combat, why would I play them? And right. So that becomes a factor in why would I pick the species? But if you're creative and you're in an environment like you're doing corporate espionage, they're perfect. We had people play uh, one of the one of my most favorite game sessions we had in terms of what these things can do. They're sneaking into a building and they're like, well, I'll just be a briefcase. And the other person's dressed up in a lab coat like a computer tech. They go into a building and they get caught by a security guard. And they're like, oh, hey, uh, we caught this critter running around. I know we're not supposed to be here, but we've been looking for you. Um, it's kind of, we, we don't know what it is. We don't know how to get rid of it. Can you come take a look at it? Uh, sure. Leans forward, opens up the, air quotes, briefcase. And the briefcase flows out into the guy's mouth and nose and chokes him. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, he's freaking out. He's like, ah, my face. It attacked my face. I can't breathe. I can't scream. I'm dead. <laughs> My favorite part about the Mazians, and we had to balance game-wise that shape-shifting ability with uh, with something else to, to keep it on balance. And one of the things we did was you basically have an entity that, you know, I hit it with a club. It doesn't care. I stab it. It really doesn't care. You know, I set it on fire. Okay, now it cares. Um, but for the most part, things that would hurt a human don't hurt it. So the uh, for Amazian to learn combat skills is extra expensive because they have a really difficult time wrapping their head around the fact of how does sticking this guy with this pony thing hurt him? Or how does hitting him with that club hurt him? Look, I can hit Bob the Blob over here with this club and he's like, woo! So that's one of their disadvantages is they have a really hard time wrapping their head around combat because everything that would normally be detrimental to most species doesn't really phase them. It's a Tuesday, right? Well, then also, so, if this is a communal organism, would they always sort of be go by like a they them? Uh, yeah, I'm curious. I mean, they could. They wouldn't be genders specifically. I would see them more replicating by binary fusion, just getting bigger and split off into a smaller ooze. Yep. Well, and then from a from a gameplay interaction perspective, I'm I'm running a game right now, and one player chose a Nazi, and, and their name is because they I don't know if you heard that. Thumps. It is the, the knocking thumps. Yeah, they, they they don't have a language that we would think of in the normal way. They use vibration as their way of communicating between different blob or just direct contact. But for further distances, you know, that's you know, hey, I'm looking for right. And so when people are trying to interact with them, they're like, hey, can you go <laughs> right? I have to like tap my foot to get your attention. That makes sense. Yeah. And so we've had a few things come up where the uh, Matsian's like, and then like the, this other guy who speaks Matsian is like, I heard that. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> Let me get this just gentle tapping. So somewhere there's a Matsian ASMR channel. Could be. Well, and also think of it, that is another way of it's a more tactile way, of mm -hmm. a tactile language in that case, which then it can also be for very interesting gameplay interactions. At least like body language wise, vibration wise. They morph dirty dirty jokes into braille on their own bodies. The Amazians were originally discovered by the Scissorax, the cats, who quickly became fast friends with them because they discovered they give great full body massages. And they vibrate. And the cats purr. Yes. The cats purr <laughs> makes the Amazian happy. The Amazian's like, ooh, I'll scratch you if I get more purring. <clears throat> so it's kind of this feedback cycle. That honestly makes a lot of sense. I'm, we're also sitting here sort of chuckling because of the fact that we have two of our four cats in here and they're both sitting here like yes pet us we're glad you are sitting here petting us 
So it's perfect timing for that. Yep, my fur balls, the, the new flab mix, the Pyrenees, they've been like, hey, pet me, pet me. Hey, you're, you're, not, you're ignoring me. One's looking at me right now. You're talking about me. I can tell. You're talking about the fur creature. Yes. So who do we have next? Mutsakens. So Mutsakens look like the quintessential Roswell aliens. Big bulbous head. So we're talking big brain case. They're they're called the melon heads. So they have this really, descriptively speaking, they've got this big melon head on top of a little whiny little neck, you know, pencil neck geek kind of a thing going down there. But at the top, huge brain. They're idiots in their society make Einstein still look even more like an idiot. They've been around for a very long time, and they've got a lot of back history. These are the ones that also have the ability to manipulate energy. They grew up on a high-radiation world. Part of their survival, they learned to uh, live in that kind of environment and eventually learn to basically absorb energy from uranium, plutonium, high-energy particles and things like that. So they learned from that and eventually expanded into manipulating other kinds of energy. That's kind of the basis of it, and that's the basis of their, air quotes, magic, where they can throw balls of energy around, superheated plasmas, melt things. You need a plasma torch here. Here's my finger. There, it's cut open. There you go. Have fun. Now, since energy can either be created nor destroyed, and I'm being able to manipulate energy, I can see, but do they have to have a power source if they want to have the plasma torch I need to cut and stuff? Or it's the, you know, I light up my finger, snap my thumb, here's a lighter. Because then I'm wondering, all right, where does all that energy come from? Because if you could say, for example, convert your own inner body energy into this sort of high energy plasma or energy ball of magic, quote unquote, then that sucker's got to eat. The Muzakans actually, they're, they're not picky at all. They can absorb ambient energy from the environment. They are capable of sucking electricity out of any nearby uninstalled device. And they're also the kings of uh, pulling extra dimensional energies uh, if they need to do really big work. So they'll use whatever's handy. But they don't actually eat. They don't actually eat. Interesting. Nope. Surely ambient absorption. So funny, funny story about uh, their ability to absorb for anything. One of the games Tony was running, I was playing a Mutsaken, and somebody got the drop on me, had a gun, I was not armored, and I'm like, okay, you've got me. Just, just shoot me in the head. I, I don't want, I don't want to linger. I don't want you to, you know, miss. And I'm, I'm just laying here bleeding for hours. And he's like, what? And he raised his gun point, uh, up towards my head. He's like, here. I leaned forward and touched his gun. I'm like, oh, I've got electrical contact now. Can I suck the battery dry? Uh, uh yeah okay i suck it dry guys like okay i pull the trigger click 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 <laughs> so yeah they don't eat so this is one that i did read through because there, and there were three things that jumped out one that they didn't eat that it's all just sort of ambient absorption all right, yeah with that they keep what they call pet rocks as in like radioactive hunks of rock that they warm themselves around like lizards ah, ah, ectothermic nice and the third one was the fact, let me see if I can find it here, that they have to drain the uh, toxins the and things from their body because they don't have kidneys. They don't expel waste. They have symbiotic leeches. Yep. Read worms. It's on, if you've got the book open, page 47, mm -hmm. at the bottom on the right. Once per month, they isolate themselves and drain their clear blood. So they pull um, the toxins they, out, they and have, then the, 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 the read... cavity to hold these reed worms to digest the poisons and bodily waste. 
and then when it gets like it starts to get big where it's going to die off it uh, secretes its larva into their blood they filter it out pick a new one reattach it and use that to suck out the toxins and waste from their their blood okay so then is the reed worm my obligate symbiote yes okay now in that case do they to does this species have to have them also to survive are they yes okay well <laughs> to survive for any length of time you could probably go a few months but then things will get bad so now i'm wondering if in the case of certain types of insects there are what we call intercellular symbiotes or if we talk about microbiomes and then microbiomes in like humans we don't get colonized with the microbes that help keep us alive until we're born and actually several of them sometimes come like through is you get colonized like actually during while well, you come through the birth canal which are actually finding that there are certain health problems associated with people who were actually born with cesarean section versus actually born the normal way because they don't have the proper microbiome mm -hmm. Because they're not colonized that way because you went from a non-microbiome environment in the womb. So then now I'm thinking as a lot of this sort of larval state, this larval symbiote that this species has to have, how do they get colonized with it? Is it something that they just always have even, you know, during gestation? Or is it something that happens after birth? Do they come out of eggs? Do they pop out of holes in the ground? Kurt, again, the guy, Kurt the Viking, who's not here, um, actually wrote all that, and I believe trim it from the description for space constraints. Um, uh, believe it or not, the, uh, the even though the book is 540 plus pages long, um, <laughs> how, how much material did we cut, Dave? I think we estimated three to 400 pages. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we had to cut a lot to get it into that space. Um, and one of the things Kurt talked about that got cut was um, they essentially get it from their mom, but that worm is tailored to their particular genetic makeup and if they ever lose it like when they flush it out if they don't get the larva of the new one they're basically sol because they can't go like hey bob can i borrow yours because it's not gonna work with them now and i i appreciate that a lot because we're even finding that there's differences in microbiome profiles and other intracellular symbiotes in like in in insects like aphids for example mm -hmm. and how the who they go through parthenogenesis, which is that the mama aphid lays an egg that is her daughter is genetically the same as hers, right? There is no mating involved. But because of that, all of those microbes that are associated with her, all her symbiotes are basically tailor-made for her, right? Mm -hmm. And so I had listened to a talk by someone who had studied aphids and wanted to see, oh, well, what, what is required, right, for these different interactions, which of the microbes in this insect cause disease versus which ones don't. And so they tried to grow these aphids in a sterile environment. Well, then they all died and couldn't figure out why. Well, they can't live without most of these. And so then you had one by one to add them back in and then see, okay. What's the bare minimum? Because <laughs> as you said, you can't go borrow a reed worm from Bob, and you're completely stuck. And so, yeah, I found that that's very interesting. They're called the bare necessities, right? Yeah, sorry, I had to do that. Oh, no, absolutely, no problem. We're a couple singers over here, and you're fine. <laughs> I did want to ask, because I, I saw it at the beginning of the book, and I'm seeing it here actually on page 49. There's like a script that is just, it looks like squiggles. 
is this like a Futurama kind of thing where it's its own language that has to be decoded? Is there like a, an appendix someplace for this? Yep. Yes, that's exactly what it is. And that's one of, one of my favorite ideas is each alien. And I didn't come up with the idea of each alien language having their own script. That was done by the art director who did the prior edition. What I suggested is, hey, why don't we get an actual font made of each of these alien scripts and we can leave secret messages to the players in these alien languages which is essentially just a ciphered english and uh, and then when they decode it if they do they get insight into the backstory of, of battle so yeah they, we've got uh Muzakin and and zazen and there's there's two or three there's four four or five languages that are represented in the book okay because I was going to say, I saw it a couple places like this has to be purposeful. I love it that. Is. I love yep. that a lot. Now I'm going to yeah, see have two themes of Easter eggs, and this is one of them, trying to give people a clue into what's going on. It's a little bit of work. I will be down here at 4 a.m. in the office with like red string, you know, piecing this together now. <laughs> well, when, uh, we, after we go off the air, I'll, I don't want to tell everybody, but I'll give you this, this, this secret. There's a shortcut, so you don't actually have to... Unless you enjoy ciphers, <laughs> there's a shortcut. Inside route, I like it. So we'll come back to that. I like that. The next one, yeah. I, it's So the next one that I saw, I don't want to say Space Elf, but I want to say... <laughs> so the Orions, the, one of the things that we really tried to do is... So when this was created, as you can imagine, 30 years ago, 1990... Sure. D and D. There, there were there were a lot fewer. There was there was a fair number of games. Don't get me wrong, but you know the the, the known game was D and D. So and still is to some degree. That was one of the things we made an intentional change on as well, where we had certain species that fit that kind of a moniker. It's a space elf. It's a space dwarf. It's a space gnome. Whatever. If you can take a D and D species and go, it's a space one of those. We're like, yeah, no. We were trying very much to not. The Orions are too popular, so they had to stay in. But, <laughs> so we wanted to we wanted to fiddle with them a little bit. From a uh, so they're so their interesting thing is they're all into fads, and they just are into genetic micromanipulation and physical microsurgery to just make themselves look like whatever they typically present right now as humanoid with pointy ears, kind of Vulcan or, or elf like in terms of appearance by the face. And they're very faddish. You know, they, they're right now one of the fads is looking like somebody who's Scottish. And so they dress up like clansmen. But, you know, that's just one perspective on what the cool thing to do is. Yeah, the current thing is um, kilts and ghillie brogues. Sure. And in terms of outlook, in terms of their, I don't know if it's genetic predisposition or if it's really more social influence because of the nature of what they do, they're the ones most likely to win a you wouldn't eat that contest. <laughs> don't tell me what not to do. You're what not, do you mean I can't fly man. this spaceship between those two rocks? I'm sure I can do it. Here, let's do it full speed. That makes perfect sense. So I will say before we kind of wrap things up, do you guys want to give kind of the the quick pitch of where to find Battle Lords and kind of what the 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 goal is now? So I know you kind of passed the Kickstarter phase. I know that's kind of that's been successful at this point. But kind of where's where should we find more information if this is really kind of tickling the fancy? Sure. Um, we are on most social media, um, facebook.com forward slash battle lords. Um, we're on Instagram. 
I don't know why I did this when I made the Instagram site, but it's Battle Wars underscore of underscore under, <laughs> underscore 23rd century. You can probably just search for Battle Wars on Instagram. Um, we have a Discord, which is growing daily. Um, we're also on Twitter. Um, we actually have two Twitter accounts. We have the company account, which is uh, just Battle Wars RPG. And then we have our uh, fictional snarky corporate spokesman, Granny, uh, retired Galactic Marine Colonel Granny Prunella Frump, who is at uh, Battle Wars is her Twitter handle. Okay. And uh, she will... Uh, give you snarky responses to battle wars questions or or, or uh, snarky responses to the company account when they post battle wars stuff um, or you can reach us on the web at battlewars.com uh, we just finished our kickstarter for our first scenario book ever actually in the 30 years the first wow. time we had a, a compilation of scenarios book um and that's uh, charlie foxtrot you, you even though the kickstarter is over you can still get in on the pre-order link which is on the charlie foxtrot kickstarter uh, again if you go on to kickstarter and search for battle lords you'll find um both our, our our 2017 kickstarter for the original core rulebook seventh edition but you'll also find charlie foxtrot and those pre-orders are still open Perfect. Did I miss anything, Dave? Um, we're also available through your game stores. We've got a lot of different distributors that carry us. So Excellent. if you can support your local game store, please do. I think that'll wrap us for there. Um, like I said, we'll get together uh, another time. And we will kind of wrap up the remainder of the playable races and then kind of get into some of the uh, hostile alien life forms. So I made sure to, to kind of stick that away. Yeah, you guys might want to check out the Hostile Alien Life Forms chapter. The other thing you might want to uh, look at for giggles is the game was made to model battlefield injuries, and uh, the critical <laughs> hit chart on page 136 is always a f And usually when people ask me what's battle, what Battle Wars is like in terms of gameplay, I just flip the book open to that and let them read through it, and they're like, ooh, this is really gritty. <laughs> Fair enough. Alrighty. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, if you have any questions, comments, or you have any suggestions of topics that we should cover in the future, please tweet those at us at, at nat20pod or email them to us at natural20podcast at gmail.com. Also, if you would like any of your adventures in your own D&D games about different creatures that you had fun with, please submit those stories to us and we will feature them at the beginning of our next podcast in our creature feature. We would like to thank Embers Tide for our intro and outro music. We would like to thank Burnham with three M's for our beautiful profile and banner artwork. We would also like to thank Shadow Dunn for listening to all of the rough drafts of our podcast. He listens to our mistakes, so you don't have to. And, as always, keep rolling a natural 20.